and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I am thrilled you are here to join us today. We're going to have a great conversation, and we're going to be meeting with three super-powered advocates for dementia. But before I introduce you to these wonderful women, I want to first give a couple of shout-outs. One is to the Mark Arneson Band that lets us use their song Clarion Call as our opening music. And for those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people. So that means you, yes, you could be our next guest. So reach out to me if, uh, if that's an interest. Uh, we interview people with dementia, uh, personal uh, family caregivers, as well as professionals, researchers, advocates, you name it, everyone is welcome on our show as long as we have a nice, respectful conversation. Now, I also want to let you know of a couple of events that are coming up, and you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com, go to our free resources page, and there you will find a graphic that says public events. You can find out about a couple of things that are going on in Minnesota. One is October 31st from 1 to 3 in Minnetonka which is going to be a screening of the film, A Timeless Love, and we will be doing a talk back with that. The other is December 8th, um, and that is going to be um, an in-person sponsored by Artists Senior Living. And our conversation on that one is going to be talking about family gatherings, events, and travel, and how do you replace those difficult times with joy? And then um, virtually we'll be doing an event on November 11th with volunteering for seniors. That's going to be a conversation where we talk about living with dementia and you can, you know, ask questions and so forth there. Um, I will be working with them on that. You will also find information about um, a couple of support groups. One is in person here that also has respite for your loved ones. And another is virtual. We have people as far as Belgium joining us. You will also find on Alzheimer Speaks information about Dementia Map, which is our global resource directory where you have 150 categories you can search. It's free access to anyone. There's a calendar of events, glossary of terms and blog and so much more. Right now, we're going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and we'll be right back with our guests. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. 
Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Okay, we are back, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. We are going to be talking about spirituality, research, and programs and services to help you when you're living alongside or living with dementia. So today we are going to be talking with Reverend Jeanette B. Jordan, and she goes by Pastor Jay. She is the founder of Journey to the Cross Ministries, which is a multi-denominational church in Park Forest, Illinois. Also joining us is Tammy Jacobs, and she is the Community Engagement Specialist for the New Ideas Study, and Dr. Feyron Epps, who is a nurse uh, who has over 20 years experience, and she is also currently serving as an Assistant Professor Director of Community and Research Engagement in the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Amory University at Nell Hodgson Woodruff School of Nursing. So let me tell you a little bit more about each of these women. Pastor Jay has also been married for 60 years to Dr. Robert A. Jordan, who was a pediatrician, and he was diagnosed with dementia in 2016. She serves as an Alzheimer's community educational facilitator, a new ideas champion for Chicago, and the Alter Program Partner and the co-host of Women of Faith uh, Caregiver Support Group. Now, Tammy, a little more information about her is she is responsible for the recruitment of the champion volunteers who share awareness about the study, uh, Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. With a background in working with residents in low-income housing, she has, a, has had stellar results in bringing communities together for the greater good. And Dr. Epps is a fellow in the American Academy of Nursing Southern Gerontology Society and Gerontology Society of America. She is also the founder of the ALTER program, a nurse-led, dementia-friendly congregation program. Dr. Epps also works to place culturally tailored, evidence-based programs and interventions in the hands of individuals who need them most. So I know this is going to be a fascinating conversation. Well, ladies, I am so excited to have you powerhouses with me today because each and every one of you is making such an extreme and important difference in the culture of dementia and helping us all move forward. So I can't wait to highlight your work and and share it with our audience here. So first of all, thank you all so much for taking the time to be with us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank Thank you. you. Thank Thank you. you. Now, to start out, I always like to ask everybody the same question. It just kind of gives us a baseline. 
And that is, have you been personally touched by dementia? And Pastor Jay, I'm going to have you kick it off. I mentioned in your introduction, you know, your husband is diagnosed, but just gave a, a little tidbit there. So if you want to share anything more, please feel free to do so. No, I was touched by this uh, Boed, I call it the beast of a disease, Alzheimer's back in 2016 is when my husband was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so I was just, yes, very, very uh, impacted by uh, what was going on. And from there, I have just become an advocate. Uh, my advocacy runs uh, long and deep. And so uh, that's the reason I get excited to be able to share my story uh, and to be able to do what I do. And thank you, Lori, for having me and my girlfriends. Great. Thank you for taking (laughs) the time out of your day today. Tammy, how about you? Yes, I will say definitely personally touched. Um, My grandmother, who just passed in 2018, lived to be 105. But roughly the last nine years of her life were engulfed with this disease. And it took a toll on the entire family. Of course, she was our matriarch. And so watching my own mother, who was in her 80s too, and her sister take care of my grandmother. So I understand it from both angles and, and how it impacts the family so much. So this is my way of paying homage to her and what our family went through at the loss of her life. So yes, I'm happy to happy to be able to sit here and and pay pay respects and hopefully support others so that they don't have to endure as this disease will definitely tear a family down. Right. Thank you. And Dr. Epps, how about you? Have you been personally touched in your own family or circle of friends? I, I think um, not in family, um, not circle of friends, but I would say um, circle of the community. Um, and I think that's where my passion stems from is the, the personal stories of those in the community in which I serve um, that has given me this passion. It feels this passion for me to be an advocate and to work with Tammy and Pastor Jay. Wonderful. Thank you. It's, um, it's interesting how so many people are touched in different ways and, and step forward to share their stories. And I'm a true believer that um, by sharing stories, we can really help other people grow and adjust to their new life and walk graciously alongside this, uh, this crazy disease and, uh, and give them hope and hopefully empower them to become advocates as well and share their stories. I think that's really how we change the world. You know, one, one person, one family at a time. So, so thank you. So speaking of stories, I'm going to go to uh, Pastor Jay and talk a little bit more in detail about why you became an Alzheimer's advocate. And I know it's, it might seem obvious because of, you know, your husband being diagnosed, but typically there's a there's a tipping point somewhere along that disease route that just says, I got to do something different here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because who would have expected uh, my husband, who had been practicing medicine for over 30 plus years, to become uh, 
affected by this disease. And one of the things that I, I advocate for are the caregivers. And um, because I was in denial for so long, I mean, I did see some uh, things that were abnormal. I did see them, but I kind of turned my head the other way because I said, no, this can't be happening. He's just forgetting a little stuff. You know, he's just calling me five times a day, uh, asking me the same question because he loves me. Uh, you know, I made all kind of excuses uh, for not, I say, coming out of the closet. Uh, and so uh, my reason for the advocacy, so passionate about that, is because I think we people of color are so uh, uh in denial, we it's taboo in our community that we put it off on old age, or uh, we just don't want to talk about it because we're so uh, what do you say secretive? You know what goes on in the Jordan household stays in the Jordan household. We don't want anybody else to know about that, and so consequently, I felt that that's being unfair uh, to the community. Uh, so I began to speak up. I began to read everything that I could about the disease because I did not really know anything about it. I had heard of people that had uh, dementia and just knowing it would never happen to us. Uh, I had just kind of said, you know, well, that's them. And so I pray for them and I embrace them. But now when this happened, they came knocking at my door. I said, I am going to make sure that my community, my family, my friends uh, know about this disease. I'm going to know everything that I can. I'm going to find out the warning signs. I'm going to tell people when you first see something, we all forget. We all forget our keys. The cell phone thing, forget it. That drives everybody bananas. But still, if I you start... Uh, losing your cell phone every day and you have the whole family searching for it up and down and then we find it in your pocket something's the matter or i find your keys in the refrigerator something's the matter you are taking longer coming home than you usually do something's the matter and so i want to tell you know the caregivers or people who need to hear the story what to look out for in their family so you're ready for it early diagnosis can be uh, a lifesaver, a lifesaver in the in terms of for caregiver. You can get early uh, diagnosis and a treatment that won't cure because we don't have the cure, of course, but something that will slow down the progress. So uh, that's why I walk and I talk and everybody that I come in contact with, I tell my story. I'm out of the closet. It's nothing to be ashamed of, but it's something that we have to embrace and be informed. Well, I'm so glad that you brought up, you know, the, the denial. I think everybody goes through the denial, but culturally there is, there is difference with, with various cultures out there. And, you know, uh, people have been trying to pull the, the black community into the advocacy and get this conversation going because we can't develop support if we don't hear what you, what you need. You know, what that community needs or what the Asian uh, Pacific uh, community needs or whatever it might be. Uh, everybody's a little bit different. And, you know, there's a saying when you've met one person with dementia, you've met one. But then you add when you've met one care partner, you've met one when every environment changes that this is a fluid disease. And so we need as much chatter as possible <laughs> to, to dive down 
and figure this out. So I thank you for, like you said, coming out of the closet and, and being proud about it and saying, you know, together we can make a difference. Now that rolls me into my next question in terms of working together. Why do you feel partnerships are so important when it comes to dementia? It is because it's not a, it's not a one-sided thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I met these beautiful ladies. I call them my girlfriends. They are my girlfriends who come with a different uh, aspect of what we can do to help our community. Uh, Dr. Epps comes with the, uh, the, the, the element of, of my church because I'm a pastor to make sure that my church is uh, dementia friendly. Uh, Tammy comes with a clinical trial. Uh, that's another aspect. And of course, uh, our churches are responsible, I think, the pastors are responsible to make sure that that church is dementia friendly. We don't want to exclude, we talk about inclusivity. So yeah, those that are suffering, I don't want to say suffering, I said I was not going to use that word. Those who are living with dementia, because those people that are they're not suffering, at least my husband's not suffering, he's having a good time, but he's living with dementia. And so I had to make sure even in my church that my church became uh, dementia friendly, that there was a space for them because they still uh, wanted to come to church. They still wanted to worship. They still remember those old uh, gospel songs that he sung many years ago. He still remembers the Lord's prayer if he doesn't remember my name. So I want to make sure that there's a place for him in the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, faith community. And then Tammy brings uh, the clinical trial part. And we as a uh, people of color, we don't believe in clinical trials. I mean, they're not going to use us for an experiment. And so we need the truth about that. And so us working together as a team can make an impact on what the beliefs in our communities are and how we embrace our communities to accept the fact that this is going on. We have these things going on and we're concerned about every aspect of what this BOAD can do to families and do to communities. And so together we can be a more informative force. Well, that's wonderful. And I think that the church aspect is really important. I'll never forget um, speaking to a bunch of alumni at the University of Minnesota up here. And I was talking about memory cafes and one woman, you know, raised her hand in the back and said, oh, we just love the memory cafe. She says, my church has one and we meet down in the basement where no one has to know. And I said, I love that your church is meeting. I love that they're addressing it. But you don't have to hide them down in the basement, basement right? You know, right. and, and it, it was a small thing and her mouth just dropped and she goes, I didn't even realize that's what we were doing, <laughs> you know, and what an opportunity it was to, yeah. to be able to spread the word that there's help for others and stuff. So a lot of these twists and turns, when we talk with one another, we, we see different perspectives or when you talked about trials, you know, I don't want to be a guinea pig and we're hearing a lot about that. I mean, just with the vaccines and stuff, nobody trusts anybody anymore. It seems like on a, on a lot of levels. And so again, we've got to have these conversations and, you know, we're never going to find a cure if we don't have trials. I mean, that's the bottom line. We can have different types of support and, and, um, and care for people. But if we truly want a cure, we have to have trials. That's just the way it works. Yes. And so getting that understanding, and again, we want them to be safe and all of those types of things as well. Um, but that's where feedback comes in and, yes. um, and things. I, I have one more question for you. And then I want to go on to, to Tammy, uh, uh, Pastor Jay. And that will, is what do you hope 
caregivers will glean from your advocacy? Okay, I hope they will glean the, that they're not alone, mm-hmm. that, that we're all uh, going through the same thing. And I think that's the reason uh, I jumped in to be an Alzheimer facilitator, community facilitator or educator, uh, so that I could come up with this uh, Zoom fourth Saturday uh, caregiver support group that we that we do every fourth Saturday. So that's where the caregivers can come and they can hear testimonies, give testimonies, they can cry, they can laugh. Uh, we can give them resources. We bring on professionals in the field to give them some statistics or give them just something to hold on to. I, I, I want to be able to be... Uh, that that person that, that 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 the caregiver can go to and just you know lean on me and 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 listen to my story and um just know that we're all in this together and if we talk about it and if we come together as community and embrace one another we can get through this and give our loved ones the care that they need uh impress upon them about uh self care if you don't care for yourself then you can't care for your loved one uh you can't give them the love and the honor and the respect because you're all uptight about it and so uh and i think that even when we started the support group we started it thinking that it was just going to be for chicago but uh, because they can go to the Alzheimer's uh, website and they see Women of Faith Caregiver Support Group, they hit that button. So we've had people to jump on our uh, Zoom uh, from the Bahamas, from Hawaii, I mean, all over the United States. And so we know that there's a need. Caregivers are looking for somewhere to go so that they can have some commonality in their discussion surrounding, you know, Alzheimer's and and dementia. I don't want to leave out the other dementias, but we really, I mean, I don't have all the statistics, but we know Alzheimer's is the most prevalent dementia uh, that, that, that there is. So I just want... That's the impact. That's my advocacy. That's my life work. And I'm in the process of writing a book. So, oh, yes. And I know that that book is going to help caregivers. And I'm just so excited about it. Yes. Oh, fantastic. And I have to give a shout out to Michelle Mason, who you work with for your caregiver support group, because that's how I met you. And I met her ages ago. And I just absolutely adore her. Yes. Um, And, you know, I love when you talk about, you know, building community, but community isn't just our little hometown community. This is something that knows no borders, you know, it crosses over. I know our our memory cafe, we have somebody from Belgium and, you know, New Jersey and, and things. And that's one of the beautiful things of being able to go online because, you know, what, what I have learned might help you and vice versa, um, or, or just give somebody the belief that they could try something new that they're thinking about, you know, trying with their loved one and stuff. So this is just, it's so important to, like you said in the very beginning, not feel alone. That is one of the most horrendous, I think, feelings when, you know, you're overwhelmed and not sure what to do is to to feel you're alone. And when you have that sense of community, the, I hate to even say the word burden, because to me, it's all about living graciously together, but everything lightens, you know, and possibility, you start looking for possibilities instead of disabilities and loss and things there so thank you pastor jay you are such a passionate voice i just i love (laughs) talking to you you just light things on fire there um 
and you and you calm everything down with that smile and face too, you know, <laughs> just automatically. Thank you. So, Tammy, I'm going to go to you next because I I want to hear more about the new ideas study. What the heck is it about? And what does it have to offer? And you know, why is it important to people? Well, first, let me say thank you for allowing us to be here today. And ditto what you said about Pastor Jay. She just lights up the room and just brings such a, a, a awesome presence. And I'm just so, so thankful to know her and thankful for this opportunity to share this study. Um, new ideas. IDEAS is an acronym that stands for Imaging Dementia Evidence of Amyloid Scanning. It's a nationwide research study for people that have memory loss. And the study is looking at a type of uh, amyloid PET scan, which is basically a picture of the brain that can tell how much buildup or protein, which we call amyloid, is on the brain. And so that's basically the uh, synopsis of the study. But what I will say is this is round two of this study. And that's why it's called New Ideas. The original idea study was conducted in 2016. And the goal of that study was partnering with CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, help help Medicare determine if PET scans should be a covered benefit under folks' policy. Well, that study did uh, gain some traction and Medicare did say interesting results However, make them more equitable. That study included 18,000 participants, yet only 3% were minority participants. So when this study began, began, the charge was that there be 2,000 African-American participants and 2,000 Hispanic Latino participants so that the results would be more equitable this time around. Now, I'm excited about that because the total is only 7,000 participants this time. And so of that 7,000 total, we know that 4,000 are going to be minority participants. Well, and that alone says a lot because, you know, when we talked earlier of denial and people not trusting and you know, how do you even find people to be part of the study? Um, because people don't always talk about it. How the heck did you make that happen? So that's a very good question, because in round one or the original idea study, um, there were no champions or there were no volunteers, I should say, um, as part of the recruitment process to engage or enroll participants in this study. For this 7,000 number, there is a role of a volunteer, and we call them champions. And of course, Pastor Jay is one of our true champions. And so in this role, the champion is actually responsible for, they're the boots on the ground. We have designated areas, we call them our metro areas. And so in those specific areas, we have seven to 10 champions who basically connect with their community. They're African-American and Hispanic Latino communities. Because as Pastor Jay so eloquently said earlier, we need to be dementia friendly. And so we know that when a champion, a Pastor Jay goes into her own lived community, her own network of people that look like her and share the message about this study, 
And the goal of this study, which is to provide a diagnosis and help people get treatment plans earlier that needed from the results of this PET scan, they're going to listen. She can go to her church members and say, listen, there's a study here. It's called New Ideas. It's out to support Black and brown people to enroll so that you are part of it. I don't think I said this, but one thing we know for sure is that African-Americans are twice as likely to develop Alzheimer's and other dementias than their white counterparts. Hispanic Latino people are 1.5 times as likely to develop Alzheimer's or other dementias than white counterparts. So again, if we're leading the pack as far as the diagnosis, we need to be leading the pack in the clinical trials. Oh, wow. oh I, I so agree. And I love, I love the trusted source with the champions. I, I, that to me is so critical because again, when you have that trusted source, now you're not a lone wolf trying something on your own. You have somebody else to talk to about it. And yes. again, you're, you're taking that loneliness kind of awkward, you know, uncomfortable feeling out. And, you know, when you're talking about these statistics, I mean, to me, it's been asinine that we haven't done this ages ago. But I also think part of the problem has been too, that not everybody, we're seeing more people get diagnosed. So knowing what these true numbers are, I still don't think we know them. You know, I, I still think there's a lot of people that aren't coming in and, and getting this addressed. Absolutely. And so as high as numbers are, I still personally think they're low. But again, not a medical professional, <laughs> just a daughter of a mom who lived with yeah. disease for 30 years. And for 10 of that, you know, she was told it was her hormones. Mm. My mom knew it wasn't her hormones. And she would say, this ain't my girlfriend's hormones. We mm-hmm. talk about this. My symptoms <laughs> are very different. And yet, you know, it was ignored. Now, again, that was almost 40 years ago. But I still hear this over and over and over again from people all around the world. And we're seeing younger people get this now yes, and yeah, having yeah. symptoms Where again, you know, I heard back, you know, when my mom was having uh, problems, oh, she couldn't live with it that long because it was only five to seven years. She could only live five to seven years, you know, and that's impossible. You must be cray cray, you know, Mm -hmm. and now we're kind of hearing that same thing with, you know, younger onset, which we used to think, you know, was under 65. And now we're hearing, you know, 50s and Mm -hmm. 40s and 30s. And, you know, I've even interviewed a couple of families that have had children. And Mm. so it's out there. And the more we're aware, the more we can have a comfortable conversation that we're not fighting this with everybody, but people are actually listening because that's the only way we're going to improve, you know? So I, I just, I'm really excited to see where this study goes and what the outcomes are going to be. To me, it, it only makes sense. But again, You've got to be able to have things in place to get the recruits that you need for these trials and and people have to feel comfortable. Now, I know one of the questions that I hear from people all the time, and and I think this has gotten better, but people would say, well, you know, I was in a study, but I never, I never heard what the heck happened. Do you get back to people and let them know what study results are? Yes, that is one thing that I'm most proud of. Not only do we share the results of the study, but folks who are actually participants in the study 
they gain that diagnosis and they move on with a treatment plan for themselves. So it's not like they're asked questions or they take this PET scan and they don't know the results of it. Their care is based on their personal scan results. So yes, and those results will be published on our website. Okay. Now, another question I know people have with trials is, what's it going to cost me? Is there a cost? I mean, I, and I, I've heard a couple of people say that, that they have battled that with different trials, where I've always heard, you know, trials are typically free, you know. Um, so how does that work with your study? Well, your deductible, you will pay for your deductible for the pets for the PET scan, if the policy that you have, first of all, to be um, considered an eligible participant, Medicare must be your primary coverage. Okay. And if with your coverage, there is a deductible, you will pay for your deductible for the PET scan. But any co-pays for the visits with your memory, and I'm sorry, any co-pays for the visits with your memory care doctor, because there's three steps. You go to your memory care doctor, you have the PET scan, and you go back to your memory care doctor. So any co-pays with that memory care doctor, you would be responsible or the participant would be responsible for that. Beyond that, the actual cost is free of charge. There is no cost to, of course, become a participant. And then there is no cost to actually have that actual PET scan done, which can be upwards of four to $5,000 Depending upon where you live, it could be actually more than that as well. Yep, that cost prohibitive uh, deals with this disease uh, are many in some cases, and so yes. again, uh, this is this is important to do. It would be, I mean, ideally, I, I think um, a lot of people would agree. It would be nice if there if there was a grant to cover that because some people are very limited in what they can cover for their out of pocket expenses. Yes. And, and that's what we were talking about earlier, where some people don't go to the doctor because they can't afford it. Even though mm-hmm. they have coverage, there still can be out-of-pocket expenses. Right. So right. we'll continue to pray for that yeah. in the future. Yeah. When do you anticipate this study being concluded and being able to share information? Or are you still recruiting at this point? We're still recruiting for participants. Um, the study is scheduled to end the end of 2024. Okay. However, we do know that if we have not reached those 2,000 per the minority populations that I mentioned, then the study will continue. Okay. Okay. So rally up, people, if you're listening. Um, you know, this, this would be a great opportunity. How would people, if they wanted to be a champion, how, how do people go about that, Tammy? Well, there are several ways. They can contact us directly when I say us Um, There's two of us. Um, My name, again, is Tammy Jacobs. I have a community engagement um, specialist co-worker. Her name is Andrea Mendoza. We both have an email address, newideasstudy.ces at med.unc.edu. I know that's a long one, but (laughs) if you need to call me, you can call me at 919-525-1020. That's 919-525-1020. And you can always visit our website, which is www.ideas-study.org. Wonderful. Well, thank you. This is, ex- this is exciting news. And to me, this is um, 
real progression in terms of raising voices and, and seeing true needs out there being addressed. So um, thank you for sharing that, Tammy. Uh, Dr. Epps, I want to I want to go to you next. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about what are some of the unique challenges that that um, Black caregivers are faced with that might yeah. be different from other cultures. Well, I think I mean we know caregiving and supporting someone that is living with dementia is challenging. Mm-hmm. But when you add race and culture to it then it just brings on a unique set of challenges. Um, Since I do a lot of work in the Black community, I hear the stories and I hear from Black caregivers what they are faced with um, when they are trying to seek out services to receive support and just what they have to deal with every day. So I just want to think about, you know, if you think of the last two, three years, a lot has been highlighted on the the social injustices, mm-hmm. right, in communities of color. Well, now, you know, these things been going on, but now they're highlighted. So imagine you being a Black male caregiver going through that, the social injustice things you may face in your everyday life and trying to support your father or your mom that is living with dementia, that just creates a just a whole set of additional challenges that traditionally, I think a lot of education programs were, were not addressing. Yeah, It was just really just focused on just the, the, the education piece, what dementia is. But when we go into the communities of color, especially in the Black community, I think we need to address what's going on in the community as well. What what happens? What 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 are those examples that you need to see that is relatable to you, so you can connect the dots? What are the tips that you need to survive in the community, survive and thrive in the community that you're in? You know, how do you? How can we empower you so you can better um, have better communication with healthcare providers? Because again, there is a lack of access to services. So we need to help you find those services. And then when you do find them, okay, this is what you need to bring to the doctor and and things like that. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking too, you know, with with the cultural differences and just the unrest, if you've got a, a care partner who is a sandwich generation care partner too, not just taking care of maybe a parent, but still trying to raise a family, working. I mean, there's so many different dynamics going on um, in this world that have made everybody, I think, feel unsafe and distrusting. And, and some of us are just feeling that now, you know, and, and, and yet, you know, so many others have been dealing with this all along, and yet it hasn't been talked about. So I agree, we need to get this conversation out and up and, and remove the shame, you know, and let people, people need to express their emotions, too. I think sometimes people are afraid that, well, I don't want to be angry. And it's like, eh, you got a right to be angry here, you know, but, but it's again, how do you express that anger that's going to get you into trouble or not? But being able to go through that wave of emotion, if it if it's anger, if it's sadness, if it's if it's a joyful moment, but providing that space to have that conversation and to hear the true needs, because everything is kind of rippled and tied together and twisted and we can't separate it. So we have to know big picture. And, and to me, you know, that's one of the reasons I started Alzheimer's Speaks was 
I didn't feel that the person with dementia and, and the families and even the professionals at a lower level were really being heard. You know, it was, it was really medical and academics that were talking to us and telling us what it's like. And yet I'm, I'm sitting back going, you know what? I, I kind of think I'm loaded with information here <laughs> on, on what it's like to be in the trenches that, that you might not actually understand. And it's nice to see those things kind of merging and being able to have those um, open conversations. Because what I'm hearing from a lot of people is my doctor didn't know. I am really a great resource to my doctor because I have found all these other things that they didn't know about. And so that's what I think is so cool. Go, go ahead. You were going to say something. Yeah, else. I'm sorry. I didn't want to cut you off. I think <laughs> I wanted to go back to me say, create that space. Mm-hmm. I think what is really important for communities of color is to have a brave and safe space. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's what's missing. And I, I don't want us to, to just kind of run over that. It's making sure that they can have that space where they can speak about this. They can learn and don't have no one looking at them like, oh, well, they should have known that. Yeah, should have known that. You know, it's, it's about making sure we have that space. And I think we need to recognize that um, and also as it relates to the experiences, the more you was talking, it just came, a lot came back to me. But um, we we need to recognize that also like a Black caregiver, we may all not feel comfortable going to the police station mm-hmm. and sharing all of our business. But that's a recommendation that many people make. Mm-hmm. share with the local police station um, everything that's going on in case your family or your friend um, starts to wander and this and that. Well, it depends on your community, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, a lot of those that are in the Black community, that's not a place that we're going to go and just share all of our business and give you all of our records. So I, I want us to think about that. Also, during the pandemic, a lot of people were Um, A lot of families were saying, oh, we cannot do this as it relates to traveling and can't do a lot of these elaborate things. But if we think about there are certain communities, travel that wasn't the problem. Mm -hmm. The problem was really how do we get food? Mm-hmm. And, and these are the things, this is what really um, had me develop caregiving while black, mm-hmm. because these were things were coming out. I worked with so many colleagues and we have all these programs and all this great stuff, but it did not respond to the specific needs of the black caregivers that I were, I was having conversation with conversations with and I was engaging with in the community. It did not respond to their needs. And in return, I seen them shut down. Mm-hmm. And just get no help because it wasn't a safe place for them to speak up. And they didn't have no one else around them that was sharing the same experiences or had the same experiences. Well, it's interesting that you you use that example of food because, you know, we started Dementia Map, which is a global resource um, directory. And, uh, you know, I, I saw that ages ago where certain organizations would only tell you about their stuff and even our government or organizations, you know, they're like, well, we, ha- we have all, you know, the meals on wheels and we have the, you know, the food shelves they can go to. And it's like, yeah, but nobody can find it because the sites are so big and they're so deep and people just get weary. 
And so one of the things we'd love to see with Dementia Map is for people just to list those specifics. Here's where you can get veterans benefits. Here's where you can find a food shelf. Here's where you can. So it's easily detectable and people don't have to dive deep. They're exhausted. And, you know, a lot of these sites, they change things up. So it's like, well, I was just here last week, but now I can't find it again. And we've all been there. And also a place that is safe for people where, you know, on this site, we don't ask for any personal information. It's free 24 hour access. You know, there's no pop-ups going, hey, can we help you? And it's not that we don't want to help, but we are not trying to grab your information to sell it or to justify statistics, because to us, you are way more than a statistic. And a place where um, if somebody doesn't have a budget, they can list their, their service product or tool on it because just because somebody doesn't have a budget or doesn't want to spend their budget that way doesn't mean it's not a value to families. And, you know, you go to Google and it's, it's scary and we have this distrust. And so I, you know, I love what, what you're doing in terms of trying to pull those things together. And I think, I think most any advocate in this space is trying to do that. But when we're all doing it separately, we're a little bit limited on how far we can go. And so you know, I would just like to give a plug for Dementia Map to, you know, feel free to list all of your stuff on there. We need this information. We need easy accessibility and we need to show collaboration that we are bigger than any one of us in terms of working together and, and trying to build a trustworthy um, community that is safe for people. Because again, I think, I think safety and that feeling overwhelms because a lot of times we don't even know what we're looking for. You know, you step into this puddle and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to drown in here, if I'm going to walk out the other side, because you don't know what dementia is and you don't know the terms to even ask for. And so, you know, I, I love that you're building, you know, this safe space for people and really listening to their needs and allowing them to be their authentic selves. It doesn't have to hide what they're going through. Because again, we can't serve people if we don't really know what they need. And, and to me, that's been one of the most frustrating aspects for me. Now, Dr. Epps, I want to talk about the faith communities and how they can support families facing dementia. Um, you know, I know you, you have a program yourself with the ALTER program. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so they can just follow Pastor Jay. <laughs> That's how they can support their community. So the ALTER program is a dementia outreach program that is uh, specifically um, designed for Black faith communities. Um, and it's to address, it's a way to fill in the gap and address the disparities that um, Tammy mentioned earlier and to make sure that we have these resources and why not go to the cornerstone, the epicenter of the black community and provide them with the resources that they need, even if they say they don't think they need it. Because I mean, because we I think we've already said it earlier that a lot of um, black families it just stays in the house and they don't talk about it outside the house. And so just because the pastor doesn't know does not mean it does not exist um, in their congregation 
or their place of worship. So um, the altar program is to bring these resources and the things that I focus on is support, education and awareness and worship because worship is still important. And a lot of times we forget that we get ready, we given this education support. But for many of these individuals, especially if they have a strong uh, faith background, religious background um, and their faith tradition is just, it's means something to them it still means something to them when they have dementia or diagnosed. And a lot of people just, that's one of the, um, one of the uh, many things that people just forget about and not knowing how impactful it can be for that individual, for them, like Pastor Jay said, her husband still, he recognizes in um, the Lord's prayer, Mm -hmm. even though he may not be able to call out Pastor Jay's name or recognize her. But that was something that's meaningful. And I don't know, Pastor Jay, when, when, if you all say the prayer together, does that do something for you? Knowing that. It, it, what it does for me is let me know that his brain is still functioning in some capacity. And so I then start to add more to that, uh, giving him more. You know, it's made us more creative with him. Uh, we know that he knows how to read. Uh, we didn't even know, know that before because we weren't engaging him like that. But as we watch uh, him trying to express himself, uh, we now bought him flashcards and, you know, trying to regenerate. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know the cure. So it may be something that I come up with that may help somebody come up with a cure. So <laughs> I'm doing all those things. I think I'm going to be one thing. Pastor Jay got the cure for dementia. That's you got to just start from the beginning. He's my baby. So he has flashcards, he has coloring books, he has Crayolas. Uh, sometimes I ask him to write his name and sometimes he can write his name. It just pops in there. He can write it as fluid as he did when he was signing his notes. Then sometimes he can't, but we still encourage him. Yeah, so those things kind of prompt me to what I want to do to help him. Yeah, and what you're saying that, Pastor J. Lori, um, I have also created out of that altar program where I'm partnering with faith communities to become dementia friendly, you know, we've also have, I have studies embedded, but I have a, um, a project called Faith Hat. Mm-hmm. And basically it's creative, um, meaningful religious activities and practices in a box that families can do with their family or friend that's living with dementia just because that triggers many things. It triggers the memory. Um, and we're seeing that and we're hoping, you know, Pastor Jay, we're going to connect, we may may find something, but you know, it's all about, it's connecting. And I want to make sure that our faith leaders have the tools that they need, that they are equipped at the end of the day, no matter what phone call they receive, who comes up to the altar, that they will be prepared because we don't know who God's going to send through the doors of the church or who, who may come in in that faith community during a worship service. So we need to make sure that um, our leaders are equipped. And, and that's my whole goal. And I think that's beautiful. I'm going to throw in a story of my mom at a wedding. It was a large wedding and there were five communion stations and she hit every single one of them. You know, and my, my brother who really didn't do much with my mom said, well, I'll, you know, I'll take her up. And he was like chasing her, you know, everyone else was pretty calm, but I'm like, Scott, just let her go. It's okay. It'll be fine. And she was so proud because that was so meaningful for her. But, you know, she had just gotten communion. She saw a communion station. 
I need communion, you know? And, and so I think that kind of pinged her every single time. And, you know, people were really gracious about it. And when, you know, you're talking about, I love these faith boxes. I think that that is wonderful because, you know, people go back in time. And so, you know, if you, if you have been a person of faith all your life, you're going to remember, you know, so many of those hems and, and, and different things because it's, it's, it's rote, it's old memory um, in there. Just, just like, you know, with my mom, she, she would remember um, lullabies and, and little stories and, and sayings and stuff. And, and people would kind of put us down when we, when we would say some of those sayings back and forth, well, you're treating her like a child. I'm like, you know what? I don't care how you feel. She's happy. She's joyful. She's comfortable. She's in sync. And that's what's important. And they were like, you know, because there's so much of that. Don't treat them like a child. And you mentioned the coloring and Crayolas, you know, Pastor Jay. It's about their comfort, their joy. And finding those moments of connection, Uh, Pastor Jay, when you were talking about, you know, when Dr. Uh, Ebbs asked you about, well, how'd that make you feel? You didn't come out and say it, but all your words said, I am joyful in those moments, you know. And you are, you are muted woman. So we can't hear you. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm going to mute me. No, it makes, I get so excited. I get so excited when I see him uh, accomplishing something that I thought was lost, yeah. you know, and I see him, oh, he can still do this. You know, he may not be able to ask for a glass of water, but, but he can still write his name, you know? So those little bitty things just, uh, I, my heart explodes with joy. Yes. Absolutely. And those are the things that we remember. I mean, my mom's been gone since uh, 2014, but it's those little moments of joy. You realize those big flashy things really aren't that important. It just melt your heart. And, you know, I have, and I would encourage uh, uh, everyone to do this, but we have little videos of my mom and, uh, and they happen to be with music. And I can, I can tell you, I can have the worst day of my life. And I mean, I've had a real funky day today with technology <laughs> and I might just have to go watch one of her little videos because no matter what's going on in my life, it calms me right down, puts a smile on my face, connects me with her. And, and I think how lucky was I to have this, this mother, even if she lived with dementia 30 years, she was the biggest gift I'll ever receive in my life. Um, even though I would never, ever wish this disease on anybody, you know, as the disease progresses, you know, hopefully people will see that you, you learn to, to love on a deeper level. There's more on, there's, there's different levels of unconditional love. And, and for me, and I don't know if you guys have felt this, but um, I, I really felt like our relationship went to a whole spiritual level. I mean, it was, I, I can't even put it into words, but we were so in sync with one another. And, you know, there's, there's such beauty in being that connected to someone. And I think, you know, through faith, through belief, through connection, um, through looking for the joy, instead of always looking for the loss, you know, that's what the, this journey can bring us. And it can really ground us into having a richer life. Um, and, and it's a really, you know, to me, it's a, it's a gift wrapped in a really strange package, <laughs> you know, um, Dr. Epps, I want to ask you about, you know, maybe do you have some other new programs that you're thinking about, you know, on the horizon that you'd like to share with us at all? 
Yeah, well, it will be the Caregiving While Black. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is one of the programs that I am continuing to to revise and and put out there and um, enroll caregivers for. It is a fully um, asynchronous online program. It's Mm self-paced. And, um, you know, it's a for us, by us. We use that approach. And so it is developed um, by myself, Black healthcare professionals, caregivers, persons living with dementia. Um, and, and, it, and it's for mm-hmm. these family caregivers. And I'm seeing that, you know, what we've heard before is when they're going through this course, they're like, they're at home, mm-hmm. right? They didn't think they needed this for some. And then when they see Black health professionals just giving it to them real, giving it to them raw, raw, <laughs> you know, it's not none of that fancy talk. It is like, we're in the living room. And I'm going to tell you what you need to know. And you need to, all of that, um, what stays, what happens here stays here. That's out the door that can no longer happen. And so that is one thing that I, I really would like to, um, just kind of put out there, um, for people to reach out if they're interested. Um, we're working with faith communities to roll it out um, because it, it just does something um, when you can receive education from individuals that look like you. It, it, it really does, Lori. Um, and, and not just for the Black community. I'm going to also speak for the Latinx community, for different cultures. Mm-hmm. It just does something because you know, there's certain things we just don't know. You know, I'm learning about the Asian community. There's certain words that can be disrespectful, mm-hmm. right? And it'll throw everything all off. Yeah. But a person from that community will know it as they're delivering the education and they'll know what to say and not to say. So those are one of the things um, that I would love to just put out there for people just to be on the lookout for, um, again, Caregiving While Black. I love that. Are you open to talking with, you know, like Hispanic and Asian uh, Pacific um, communities and and sharing what you're doing for the black communities that maybe they can create it for their communities at all? I mean, I, I just think that this is so important. You know, you had talked about knowing the language, you know, I, that was one thing I, I, when I first got into this, this uh, space, um, in 2009, it's like, speak the people's language, stop doing this and, and looking down at everybody, you know, and engage people, allow them to talk. And, and you have so much, we all have so much to learn from one another, mm-hmm. you know, evening that out and, and making them feel respected for what they've learned and helping them know that they've even learned something. Cause a lot of them think, well, I don't know anything. And it's like, with everything in life, we're 10 steps behind somebody and we're 10 steps ahead of somebody else. We can always help somebody through our stories and we can always learn. And, you know, it's such a, an easy, comfortable fashion. I I just think of, you know, when I, when I started the memory cafes, people were so thrilled and there was so much pushback, you know, with that, you couldn't have people with dementia you couldn't have, you know, care partners together because, you know, oh, what are they going to say? And I'm like, where do you think they are the rest of the day? You know, 98% of their days together. Let's help people live graciously through this. None of us were perfect before dementia knocked on our door. We still aren't. We're still going to screw up. That's part of being human, but we don't have to beat ourselves up forever. You know, we can live graciously along that 
that line. And, you know, I just, I, I just think there's so, so much that we can share. I, I also want to just make the comment that, you know, when I got in this, you know, you know, my company's name is Alzheimer Speaks. And people to this day go, well, you should probably change that. And it's like, eh, you know, I'm pretty much branded. People know we are all of dementias, but I'm not going to chase the verbiage because as soon as I change it to dementia, dementia is going to be out the window and it's going to be neurodiverse or it's going to be whatever it's going to be. So, you know, we all have to understand the evolution of what's going on here that we're all learning and the beauty that I found in terms of a lot of these groups was everything was so separated. It was the Alzheimer's. It was, you know, Louie body was kind of over here. We really didn't even talk about vascular and, and FTD, you know, although those people were really wacky because, you know, they have personality changes and, you know, and they were really pushed off. And, and now people with dementia, the families are like, you know what, there's a lot more overlap than there are differences. And we can learn from one another. And, you know, we have things to share to make all our lives better. And, you know, if we can get everyone to that space or a majority of people, oh my gosh, we're going to be able to push things forward so much faster by collaborating and sharing knowledge that maybe we didn't even know that we had because no one ever asked us. Um, Pastor Jay, you were going to say something I can see. No, I wasn't. Well, I have a lot to say, but I don't know. (laughs) No, I agree with everything that that we're saying. And, and you know, I've continued my advocacy. You know, my husband is now in a long-term care facility. He's been there for three years. But uh, my advocacy on top of with the caregivers is uh, the educational piece to the the, the care providers in the long-term care facility. Mm -hmm. Uh, they know when I'm there because I'm always looking to see what they're not doing so that I can help them to implement the things that they should be doing. My husband was on a floor where he was with other people who were in the long-term care facility that did not have dementia. But, you know, dementia is a, is a specialized kind of care. Uh, and so you can't just lump him with everyone else. He, he gets sick, they do a lab test, he comes back with a UTI. Well, he's coming back with the UTI because you're not giving him water. And so now my thing is make it a part of the protocol. Uh, if you're giving him medicine, give him 16 ounces of water, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, and you'll find out probably that most of those dementia patients that are being tested won't have a UTI anymore. They're, they're hydrated. Uh, interact with them. Don't let them sit. Uh, if he wants to go to the bathroom and tell you what he wants to, want to go to the bathroom, Put him on the toilet and let him go to the bathroom. Evidently, his mind is telling his body that he wants to go. He's saying, I want to go to the bathroom. So my advocacy now is we need to educate the medical providers or the medical uh, care teams at these long-term care facilities how to care for people with a specialized uh, need. And uh, I don't know. That, that's, my biggest, that's, that's my biggest advocacy right now, uh, you know, together with... Uh, letting our caregivers know that we love them and that we're there for them and that, you know, we're, we're, we're going through the same thing. I, I do want to say that Michelle and I are having an event on October the 15th. It's called Purple Rain, R-E-I-G-N, Purple Rain, where we're going to be uh, uh, celebrating caregivers 
We're going to give out care packages, you know, spa packages, uh, pedicures and manicures. And uh, people, so that can, caregivers can go out and spend some time just loving on themselves. And we're going to unveil some art pieces that we have some artists that are doing renderings of uh, art pieces that uh, express to them what, what Alzheimer's means to them. My sister-in-law is an artist and she has pieces over in Italy. But she's doing a piece for us, and she's going. We're going to unveil that piece at this Purple Rain event, uh, and so it's just going to be a fabulous way of coming together with our caregivers, letting them know that we're there for you, we love you, we appreciate you, and you've been doing a marvelous job taking care of your loved ones. And so Michelle and I are excited about that. So uh, we wish you guys could come to be a part of that. But if you can't, we know that you're there in uh, spirit. And so we'll embrace you that way and let you know the success of that. But we have overs. Oh, we almost have 100 people that are going to come out and celebrate with us. So we're excited. Oh, sweet. I, I know Michelle has done events in the past. She shared those with me and the stuff she puts together has just been incredible. So I know that that'll be really, really neat. And it is important to, um, to appreciate everyone. And when you were talking about, you know, training staff, just in that subtle, it can be a subtle fashion, or it can be really direct. <laughs> I used to do that when my mom, my mom lived in a nursing home for 14 years. But what I found was staff was really pretty open to hearing new ideas and ways to connect because it brought them back into relationship instead of just being task oriented. Yes, you know, yes. I'll, I'll never forget one, one little lady was, uh, she would frustrate all the staff because at dinner time she would take all the, the napkins and the silverware off the table. And they were like, Oh, we just put them all out. And they were just really frustrated. <laughs> and, and it was kind of escalating, you know, with the staff. And I, 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 I um, asked the woman if she wanted to go for a walk. So we went for a walk and she really didn't speak English. But as we just walked around the community, we came back in. I realized it, it, through the, the little ways that we could communicate that her family owned a restaurant and she used to roll silverware. So she was grabbing yes. all that stuff to help. Yes. And yet she wasn't looked at in that fashion. And so sometimes we see, you know, outsiders see something different. And again, that is so important um, it you is. Know, to understand. Um, it well, is. This has just been, I could talk to you three all day long. I know. <laughs> <laughs> because it's Absolutely. so fun and exciting, you know, all of what you're doing. So we do, we do need to wrap up though. So Tammy, I'm going to throw it to you. Is there anything else that you'd like to add in you know, regarding your idea, your new ideas study? Yes, I would say to our African-American population, uh, please consider this. If you're a caregiver taking care of someone and you want to know more, we host uh, weekly champion informational sessions where we can explain what the study represents, what the steps are, and how you can support your loved one. And if you're an advocate like Pastor Jay and want to become involved and support this study we would love to have you as a champion so feel free to contact us and we'll be available to make you aware of what we can offer and add you to what you can offer us if you're interested thank you dr epps anything that you want to cover that we haven't so far yeah i just want to reinforce that we no longer can be silent 
um, overall um, as caregivers and families that are faced with this, but particularly the Black families, it is our time to be able to speak up, speak out, um, and, and share within our family and then also within our community that we reside in what's going on so we can truly receive the help and support that we need. Yeah, you need and you deserve for sure. So thank you. Uh, Pastor Jay, how about you? Anything you want to wrap up with? No, I just want to, I say no, and then I start talking, right? <laughs> uh, I just want to say, like I said, I'm just so excited about uh, being involved with uh, Dr. Epps and Tammy uh, in this partnership that we have uh, established. Uh, I'm going to, you know, every time someone asks me to do something, I'm always saying yes. I'm also uh, doing a clinical trial study with Rush. Uh, on caregivers uh, who whose loved ones are in uh, a long-term care facility. So I'm also in that clinical study, a uh, clinical trial study. Uh, but but I just I just want to say that I, I just we're here for the caregivers. Uh, if you want to be a part of our support group, you can always uh, contact us at womenoffaith 7 at gmail.com. And put in your uh, email address and we'll add you to our list and invite you every fourth Saturday. Uh, Thank you, Lori, for allowing this team to come together so that we can be informative to your listening audience. Uh, We're so excited about that and hope that we've said something, uh, shared something uh, that will, you know, pump up your audience so that they too will, you know, embrace what we're doing and we embrace what they need and they're doing well you've given us a lot to think about and dive into and to share with with other people and i just want to clarify because when when you said your email i thought you said whipping up faith but it's women women of faith 007 at gmail and maybe i'm at dot com maybe i'm the only one that heard that but it's women of faith 007 at gmail.com and again you can reach out to the New Ideas website at um, www.ideas-study.org or email them at newideas, and that's plural, study.ces at uh, med, med.unc.edu. Um, or you can call 919-525-1020. They're also on Facebook, New Ideas Study Champion Events. And Dr. Ebbs, you can um, reach her by email at faithvillage at emory, and that's E-M-O-R-Y dot E-D-U. Or feel free to call or text at 678 678- 723-8188. Ladies, I can't thank you enough for all you're doing <laughs> and your you. willingness to share. Your energy is so good. I um, I just feel like I can go tackle the world after talking <laughs> to all of you. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for having us. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. And Bye-bye. please Bye-bye. like like, click, and share this if you're listening uh, or watching the video. Other people need to hear what these three powerhouses have to say. There's something in there for everyone. Bye now. 
Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.